Realtors make way, way too much money, Josh. But the good news is we got attorneys and lawyers to help out with that. And what I mean by that is the lawsuits happening with compensation and how it's going to become more expensive as a buyer when purchasing a home in the housing market. Today's episode, we're going to talk about what's actually happening with these lawsuits and what you can do as a buyer to put yourself in the best position when buying a home. This is the Educated Home Buyer. Everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. So Josh, let's start off by just talking about the lawsuit at hand, how that's affecting buyer compensation, and why these greedy, greedy realtors why they're going to be affected going forward. Uh, the funny thing is we can talk about the uh, nature of greed, but these corporate attorneys that basically <laughs> go after class action suits, we have the first one has had the jury settlement. So it is under appeal. Uh, another case in Illinois, right behind it, bigger, just because there's more commissions and more transactions in the state of Illinois will be even bigger. But the same attorneys are going state to state and generating classes of aggrieved sellers and uh, proceeding in the same way. So that will play out over time. But the interesting part, we have one jury verdict, $1.8 billion settlement. With a, with a, with B, a guys. B, That's real money against both the National Association of Realtors and specific real estate brokerages. In that lawsuit, the lawyers did the smart thing. They went only to the deep pockets. So the biggest companies, the Keller Williams, those type of massive brokerages because they have the money to pay this suit. So right now we wanna talk about what has changed today, which not a lot, a lot and not a lot, but then how is this likely to play out over time? And truly, there is no answer to that, Jeb. This could go a million different directions, but let's just- Well, well before we do that, let's talk about why. What's the suit about? So the suit is essentially about commissions being too high, the idea that these companies are coming together and price fixing the market, and that brokers, real estate agents like myself, that were just overpaid. And so that's the basis of the lawsuit, which essentially- has been awarded the 1.8 billion, which is currently in appeal. So you're going to see similar things like this in different states. In fact, Josh, as a real estate, I mean, I get different things showing up in social media feeds. A lot of people do, but because I'm in the real estate industry and I follow different things, I'm sure they see what I follow, but it's, hey, if you were represented by one of these companies and the ad changes every time I see it, sometimes it's, hey, if you were represented by Coldwell Banker or you were represented by... Keller Williams or whatever the thing is, then you could be awarded money if you sold a house with them. So there's people out there at the moment fishing for people to add on to this lawsuit to essentially add weight to the whole thing. Well, let's give a little bit of additional detail because I can't say cars are too expensive. I went to buy a new Tundra last weekend and it was $74,000. That's too expensive. They're mistreating me. The actual heart of it is that to list properties in the multiple listing service, for the most part, you have to be a member of the National Association of Realtors. In the National Association of Realtors Code of Ethics, they had it written in there that if you took a listing, you had to offer cooperating compensation for any cooperating broker who brings a, a buyer. It could be $5, but it had to be in there. You couldn't set yep. it at zero. The realtor's perspective is a seller has always been able to negotiate it. Do I want to offer 1% total and, and we split it half and half? Do I want to offer 7% and give it 5% to my agent that's putting the sign in the yard and 2% to the other side? 
always been negotiated and is part of that listing agreement with the listing broker, not the agent representing you, but with the listing brokerage. So this has always been negotiable. There is no fixed price. As a consumer, I see these articles say, hey, realtors have been really great at protecting this 6% commission. Well, for us in California, where we have higher price points, it is incredibly rare to see a 6% commission. So that makes me chuckle when we say 6% has been protected when it hasn't. And it's a little bit disingenuous to think that sellers don't know that it's negotiable. I've heard from enough of my realtors, the hard times they have on a listing presentation that, hey, I talked to a discount broker. We'll talk about that. Whether it's a Redfin that will give you a rebate, whether it's a help you sell that will put it in the MLS, do almost nothing else, but basically help you to market the property. And then we get into the portals, the Redfins and Zillows of the world that will put the information out there and you can do it for sale by owner. You don't need representation at all. So really the biggest first initial move is that the NAR took that out of their code of ethics. You as an agent and a member can now go take a listing and you don't have to offer cooperating compensation. No, I'll tell you, Josh, as a listing agent and a buyer's agent representing both sides for an extended period of time, I've never been on a listing agreement where the compensation wasn't discussed when they say, hey, what do you charge? And you explain your fees and explain to them why you're charging what you're charging and who the additional money is going to and why it's going to that side. As a listing agent, you have to be able to convey to the seller why it's important that they're paying the other side of that commission. Yeah, it's costing them more money to do it, but it attracts more buyers. It makes you competitive in the marketplace. And a lot of this we're going to be talking about, but it's almost as if there's this idea that this has never been discussed, that the seller never knew they were paying this compensation. And I look at that and go, are you crazy? Of course they knew. They, they didn't think they were paying five or 6% to one agent. And if they did, then now that it's changed and you understand it, you should be happy that that you knew that one person wasn't getting all of that fees. Let me throw out the argument that's being made and then you sort of respond to it from the realtor's perspective. The argument is that since that buyer's representation commission is paid out of home equity by the seller, that buyers have been misled to think that their representation is free and that they don't pay anything for it, which I believe every client that I've ever done a loan for is aware that the person that puts them in the car, drives them around on the weekend and writes offers is going to make money. I don't believe anyone is deluded enough to think that it's free. They don't know exactly what it is often because they're not necessarily digging into the line item on the closing statement. They don't know what their agent is making. And because they don't have to write the check, it's transparent to a large degree to them. They're not negotiating to get the lowest price representation. And to me, it's kind of the equivalent to when I need heart surgery, I don't go find the lowest priced heart surgeon. I try to find the best. So maybe that's a piece of it. Maybe if you knew, hey, what does this cost? I'm not going to have Uncle Sal, who just got his license two weeks ago, represent me so that Aunt Velma can have a nicer Christmas because he hasn't had a job in six years. You would say, I need the best representation. And if this is what is costing, because the cost does work its way through that transaction. If there was no cost of representation to the seller and to the seller cooperating with the buyer's agent, it's reasonable to assume the home might sell for less. And that's a lot of the perspective that people are taking. Hey, if we brought these down to like 2%, homes would sell for less, this would be cheaper. And we'll talk in a minute why the people who are actually gonna be hurt the most by this are the first time buyers that are trying to get on the ladder, on the bottom rung and get into property for the first time. But from your perspective, Jeb, what, what's your response to that? There are definitely buyers out there that don't understand how agents get paid. But it's a question I've had a million times in my career. How do you get paid? Well, I get paid by 
the seller, by the, the, the listing agent on this deal. My representation to you is being compensated by the seller side. And with that, oftentimes I'm giving credits to the buyer for repairs when sellers won't put deals together. So there's a lot of things that my commission does and understand most of the time, the buyer's agent's not receiving 100% of that commission. There are portions, percentages being paid to brokerages, to taxes, to a lot of different things as a self-employed borrower that in the big scheme of things, you just look at the top number, the gross number, when the net is significantly smaller than that number. But I will tell you, anybody that says they had no idea on either side of this, I call bullshit. There's no way you don't have an idea of how this works. And many times buyers know how much we're getting paid. They know that they've been up to date on commission structure, or they have an idea that, hey, he's probably making two and a half, three percent when in fact it might be less than that. That that they're looking at some old school numbers thinking, yeah, everybody gets a six percent commission. And a lot of places still do in the country. A lot of places don't where it's negotiable and it's a little more competitive when you've got 20,000 agents in Orange County all competing against one another. A lot of times you have to do things in order to remain competitive. So the fee structure on some of this stuff has changed. The parties are aware of it. I've never come into a, in a conversation where no one had any idea of how this whole thing was going to work. And, and even if they did, after you explained it, it made sense in why they did that. And they continued to do it. That's the thing is like, once you explain the process to someone and you tell them, Hey, you're not required to do this, but this is what I recommend and why I recommend it. Most sellers agree that that's the right approach. And more often than not, they end up benefiting from that approach. So let's talk Josh about how the lawsuit changes things now and essentially what that means as a buyer, when trying to work through some of this stuff, how do you negotiate it? Are you required to pay this fee? What fee are you required to pay? I think that's really the important piece from the buyer's perspective is how much more is this going to cost me now in addition to my down payment? Can it be financed? What are we looking at here? Well, Jeb, let's start with the biggest misconception. We had this question on the live show last week, and we get this question a million times from people that have heard the lawsuit. Hey, has the law changed? Is the law changed yet where the seller doesn't pay compensation? There is no law that is going to change out of this. There's a possibly that $1.8 billion penalty that will be paid, possibly other states join in and multiple penalties to be paid. Mm -hmm. The NAR code of ethics has changed. So their requirements of how realtors operate, that has changed, but yeah. nothing underlying it has changed. Commissions aren't illegal. It is not illegal for the listing agent to offer cooperative compensation. It is not illegal for a seller to offer that, to agree to that in the listing agreement. So in the short run, nothing has changed, but it has brought a focus to this and more people are aware. And there's going to be a subset of sellers that are going to go, hey, I saw this lawsuit coming and you can't make me pay for representation on the other side. So, so Josh, while you're saying that, I think it's important to note that the National Association of Realtors companies that I work for, Coldwell Bank or some of these other companies have changed their policy. They haven't been required yet to change policy, right? Because it's still an appeal. We're still going through this court case, but a lot of them see the basis of this and why it was there and why it's went the way it went and said, okay, we understand that part of it. We need to make some changes on our side to help move in the right direction. Now it's not required, but we're progressing towards something changing, Josh, whether it's the industry, the commission thing changes entirely, or there's some sort of modification in between what it is right now and what they were ultimately trying to achieve, which is sellers not being able to pay any compensation at all. 
again, there's some major flaws and problems with that that we will talk about. So it sounds great in theory, hey, sellers are going to save a bunch of money, but it causes problems and the problems are bigger than the one that they solve. But let's talk in, in the short run. The big one that you've been telling me about, Coldwell Banker, who you work under their brokerage, is suggesting, recommending, or is it complete policy that you guys are required to use that buyer broker agreement now? I, it's recommended in my understanding, it, so it's, um, it, at it's, least at the moment, right? We've done trainings on it, but it, at the moment, just it's something that we recommend you have this signed. Okay. And remember, all real estate is local. Most of these yep. boards are statewide boards. So there's the California Association of Realtors that operates under the National Association of Realtors. And then Coldwell Banker, member of the California Association of Realtors, is going to use many of the same forms, add to that, make recommendations for Jeb. And that's the same for any other brokerage out there. But there are other states, associations that are looking at this differently. The state of Washington has said, you now as an agent must use a buyer broker agreement. Mm -hmm. So the good thing about this is clarity, right? So why don't you walk through, there's reasons why most agents up to this point have not used a buyer broker agreement. We get the question all the time from people, hey, this agent is asking me to sign this. I don't want to sign that. Do I have to sign it? And now we're going more towards an area where I think it's going to be the norm or becoming the norm, if not required by state law. So why don't you talk us through some of the positives and maybe some of the negatives that people wouldn't like about a buyer broker? Yeah. I mean, having this conversation, Josh, I'm almost stepping on my own tail to some extent, right? Because for the longest time I've told you, I've never done buyer broker agreements. I've never had a client sign one. I've always taken the approach as to, hey, I'm not gonna make you go under a contract with me because I want you to work with me because you wanna work with me. And if you decide I'm not the right person and you think another agent's better, so be it. Like, I don't wanna hold you to a contract, even though we could break the contract and whatever. I just thought it was an easy approach. Well, now it's a little bit different because there's a chance that depending on how the listing is structured, a commission may or may not be paid. And if one is paid, it may be significantly less than it has been in the past. And so now part of this buyer broker agreement states what my compensation is as an agent and what I'm expecting to receive. And it's negotiable, right? There's no set in stone amount, but it's, hey, this is the amount that I think I'm worth helping you find homes, driving you around, negotiating the deal, helping you essentially get to the finish line as a happy homeowner and educated home buyer. This is the fee that I'm charging. And so this agreement outlines that. And in addition to that, it outlines things like the cities that you're looking in and maybe even specific properties and whether or not I have the ability to negotiate this commission on your behalf with the seller right? Because in some cases, we negotiate a fee. Let's just say for purposes of our conversation today, I say my fee is two and a half percent of the purchase price. So if that's my fee, and the seller isn't willing to pay me a fee, right? There's no fee being paid on the listing side, then we've already discussed that, hey, if there's no compensation being paid, you want to make an offer on this property, your offer gets accepted, then you're willing to pay me this two and a half percent commission out of your pocket, you borrow it from a friend, whatever, wherever that money comes from, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, but that two and a half percent is how my compensation is paid. Now, as a buyer, you can, even if that agreement's signed, there's always the ability to modify terms and renegotiate and that sort of thing. But as it stands, if you've signed that agreement, you're willing to pay that. Now, there's other things in there. Say the seller is not paying a commission. We've agreed that my compensation is two and a half percent. Well, if you've given me the authority to do so, 
I can, when we make an offer, negotiate how I get paid as part of the compensation coming from the seller. So we can say, seller, it states that you're not paying a commission, but my buyer's agent has given me the authorization to request that you pay this amount, that two and a half percent, on behalf of the buyer. So what this agreement does is it gives you this ability. Now, depending on whether or not you check certain boxes in the agreement, decides whether or not the agreement can be canceled, whether or not it's irrevocable. Again, I think most buyers are probably going to want some sort of agreement in there that, hey, if either of us decide to cancel, that it's a revocable contract. But in some cases, by checking certain boxes, both of you have to agree in order to cancel this contract. Now, these contracts typically have a time frame on them. So if you sign one and you decide, I agreed to this, I absolutely am not willing to pay this. I'm not working with this person. You can wait until it expires. Or in some cases, Josh, this is where it gets a little tricky. And we'll talk about this in a little bit more detail in a moment is that if you agree to a commission to pay compensation to say me as your agent and the seller isn't paying a compensation, well, we could choose to say, hey, we're not even going to look at that property. You could tell me, Jeb, I'm only interested in looking at properties where there is a seller compensation. And we'll talk about how that's going to affect the seller to some degree if they choose to go that route. So Josh, there's a lot of forms here. In addition to forms that state, hey, you're just going to skip the buyer's agent thing entirely and you're going to go work with the listing agent. That's something a lot of people have done in the past to win listings. And now there is an additional document that has to be signed when you go directly to the listing agent in order to let them represent you in one of these transactions. And, and essentially- Jeb, Jeb yep. is, that, is that form national and dictated by the NAR or is that a decision that CAR has made so far? I don't know the answer to that, Josh. It definitely is a CAR form, but it, is it national? I don't know. But the likelihood of it going away here in California now that it's been made a part of the contract is, I, I think, minimal. And, and we could read into that if you want, or we can skip on to some other things and talk about compensation and come back to it. But the gist of it is you're now signing a buyer broker agreement. Any agent that you talk to about buying a home, you're going to have to discuss compensation. It's, it's that simple. You can say, Jeb, I don't want to go with you because you're talking about me paying you. That sucks. I don't have the money to pay you. I don't want to pay you. I'm going to go talk to Josh. Josh is in a, in a real estate agent, but say he was. And you can say, Josh, I want to work with you. Well, guess what Josh is going to say? We've got to discuss compensation. I, I also like to get paid for my work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So understand as a buyer, changes have been made where now there is a new negotiation happening, not only on the purchase price, but in how you pay your agent. So what I'm hearing as a consumer, I'm not a realtor. Again, we just established that. But I sit there as a consumer, someone who buys real estate, may buy real estate in the future. We just massively increased the complexity of the transaction and the negotiation. I believe it was last week's episode, Jeb, a portion of that episode, we went through the contract, all of the things you have to decide. What am I going to offer? How quickly am I going to close? Who gets choice of services? What fixtures stay? What timelines we're going to do? Do I need any concessions from them? Now we're also going to go back and say, hey, you didn't want to pay anything. I want you to pay this much. And we're all conditioned in the last three, four, five years, we've been in a strong seller's market. So you understand that the seller gets to say no to almost everything you ask in there. And if a seller wanted to do that in the short run, they can say, no, I'm not paying compensation. And if I have 10 offers, one of those people is going to be willing to either have no representation, 
pay their own representation or in a second, I do want you to go through the verbiage for that CAR form for if you have the listing agent also represent you. All of these things are likely to happen. But what I will say is the purpose of any lawsuit, in addition to getting money in the short run, and if you see any class action lawsuit, the only people that ever make money are the lawyers. The actual um, members of the class get almost nothing. So sellers, regardless of what happens, are not going to receive an appreciable amount of money. But what we're looking at is you have to be careful what you wish for. We have a system that for 100 years in the United States of America has worked. It works in that most buyers want representation because they're not negotiators. They don't understand contracts. They don't know escrow, title, appraisals, home inspections, home insurance, all of the things that realtors guide and advise them on. So they're going to want an advisor. Their advisor is going to want to get paid. And we've seen there have always been options for discount brokerages, the places that for $500 will list the property in the MLS. And you can put, you have to put some type of compensation in there to a, a broker that's going to sell, but it's 500 bucks, 1%, whatever the number is. And the statistics have shown that agents don't believe that is enough compensation for what they do and the liability that they take on in a transaction. So if you want to be short-sighted and say, I'm going to save money, I can now list my property without offering any cooperating compensation, that is not going to be beneficial for you in the long run. But we have to see that play out over time. And the biggest reason why, I guess if you're selling a $10 million property, I have a lot of money as a buyer sitting in the bank. I'm going to put pay cash or I'm going to put $5 million down. So if I need to pay 3% on that, $300,000 to my agent, I have that money. Now let's look at the buyer that's buying a $300,000 entry level home. I deal with these people all the time. They're scraping up enough money for down payment, hopefully enough for closing costs. If we ask them to come up with another $7,500 to pay their agent, or say they have an agent who's really generous says, I'll do it for $3,500. Most of my clients do not have that. So when you're saying as a seller, I'm going to go and deviate from the norm that we've had for the last hundred years, and I want to do it this way, you are going to eliminate a large portion of first-time buyers. So depending on where you are on that spectrum of price and your potential buyer, and then also the overall strength of the market, are we in a seller's or a buyer's market? This could be wonderful. Maybe it saves you money. Maybe it costs you a, a bunch of money. But that's just my perspective is best case, it creates a bunch of additional complexity. Worst case, we're going to have to have a discussion with buyers of saying, hey, this seller is not going to pay anything. Your agent needs to be compensated for time, effort, energy, overhead and liability in representing you. How are we going to cover that? So the plaintiff's attorneys, in the case in Illinois, their argument has been, oh, there's many ways they can do this. The seller can carry back that commission. So the seller still pays it, but they get a note and you pay them over time. They say, well, you can go out and get a personal loan. Well, if you've come to me and we've pre-approved you for a loan, I've told you, do not go out and take out any other loans, much less a $7,000, $10,000, $15,000 unsecured loan that won't actually close. We'll have an inquiry on your credit report. We're going to ask what it is, and you're going to have to tell us because at closing, you're going to take that money out so that you can pay your representation. Those are the big ways. Another way that's been suggested, well, Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, the banks, they could all change their guidelines and say, you can finance that. So you're going to put three and a half percent down and then we'll add two and a half percent on top of that to pay your agent. I don't think there's any world in which that happens because whatever number they put in there sort of codifies, this is what you should pay, or this is what is normal, or this is what is realistic. So to me, Jeb, big picture, 
we have additional discussions that are going on. We're going to have some sellers that are not going to want to cooperate. So there's going to be some listings out there where you have a, a, a stubborn seller that says, I'm not paying anything. So these negotiations are going to occur in the short run. But we talked early in the show that probably in all of the 48 states that do not currently have an active lawsuit, those same law firms are going out and running ads on Instagram, recruiting plaintiffs to join the class so they can file these lawsuits. So what, what happens is at a certain point, the Department of Justice looks and goes, this is insane. We can't have 50 lawsuits going on in 50 states that get settled 50 different ways. And then we have 50 different ways of doing business. This falls under our purview. We are going to step in and we're going to negotiate a settlement. And this is what the new way of doing business will be. So to me, that's my uh, unexpert opinion in this is that whether it's two years from now or five years from now, that will be the direction that this ends up getting settled out. Well, what I think is funny, Josh, is that the, the whole idea here is that sellers are paying too much money right? That they shouldn't have to pay this. But what percentage, I'm going to kind of just throw this out there and, and I'm not going to hold you to it, but what percentage of sellers are buyers? 90%. 90%. So if you get rid of the whole seller having to pay the buyer's compensation, the buyer now has to pay it. If you're a seller and you're also a buyer, am I missing something here? Because now you're paying the compensation on the seller side and now you've got to have a buyer represent you in most cases. So now you're still paying that buyer's compensation, just like it's always been. It's always been negotiable to some degree in, in how you get paid. And so I just think this idea that you're going to save money, what it ends up doing is it puts buyers in a precarious situation. It puts sellers in another situation, which quite frankly, more lawsuits are going to come from this because it's going to be one of these things where one seller offers compensation, another seller does not. And you got two houses in the same neighborhood, same tract, very, very similar homes. And the one with the compensation gets more activity, gets more buyers interested in it, sells quickly. Whereas the one that's not offering anything may sit a little bit longer, may not receive the, the price that the other one did because there's less activity. And I think that's important to, to understand as a buyer and how you look at this, if you're a buyer that you don't have the means to be able to pay compensation and you're saying, Jeb, I only want to look at homes where the seller's either willing to pay that fee and negotiate it, which we don't know who that is up front most of the time, and or they're paying a compensation, but the ones that aren't willing to do anything, I don't even want to see those homes. Well, from a buyer's perspective, though, you're limiting the number of homes that you can view in a market that already has tight inventory. Now, that will change over time. Inventory will change. Demand will change. All of these things will change. But in the short run, you've got less property to look at. We, Jeb, we already know how this works out because let's look at the loan side. I need to get paid for doing a loan. Most of my clients don't want to pay a loan origination fee. They don't want to pay discount points. So most loans are done with zero points. So how is that done? You pay more in the form of a slightly higher interest rate and the lender who gets that loan pays us. So we get paid, you get the property Sounds without having to write a, a bigger check. So what happens if I have a lender that says, we won't do that. We require you to have your compensation. So the borrower has to pay a point, point and a half, two points for me to represent them in that loan. Well, they say, well, cool. I want a lower interest rate. So 
the lender get something less valuable because they are unwilling to pay us. That is exactly how it will play out in the real world. Now, in the short run, if you have a really hot market, if you have a neighborhood, I have a client right now in a city here in, in California that literally a home comes on the market every six months. That seller could probably say, I ain't paying anybody. They could probably put a handwritten sign out in the yard. My house is for sale because there are not any. They will probably sell that home and it mm -hmm. will be whatever the market will bear. That is not typical and that is not the way the market will be at all times. So I could see this going one way and in a strong seller's market, uh, seller saying, hey, this is awesome. And then we get to a very different market and it's a strong buyer's market and they go, hey, this is for the birds. No one wants to make an offer uh, on my house. No, and, and I think that's probably what's going to play out. A lot's going to change, right? We're in the infancy stages of this whole thing. And quite frankly, it's a conversation really early on to be having in any real detail because we don't know how some of this stuff is going to play out. We're talking to you to the best of our ability in what we think is going to happen. We think that there's going to be a change, but we do think, or I personally, I can't speak on behalf of Josh, that sellers will be able to pay compensation if they choose to do so. They're not going to be required, just like they haven't really been required in the past. It's just always been recommended. Most sellers, at least in my experience, have agreed to do that, but there are going to be changes. And as a buyer, there's a chance that it's going to get more expensive. But here's what I'll say. I look at the listings in my personal market every day. One thing that I've never paid attention to in the past in looking at these listings is compensation. I just look at, hey, this property came on the market. A lot of times I'll go down. I'll look at, if I'm not familiar with the area, I'll look at the area. I'll look at who the agent is. Hey, do I know the agent? And never really paid attention to compensation. Now, very first thing I do, look at it, scroll down. Is the seller offering compensation? Not because I'm necessarily got a buyer looking at that property, but what I'm trying to do is gauge the market at the moment. How are sellers looking at the news? How are they perceiving the conversations that they're having with their agents? Because this is something that needs to be discussed. And I will tell you, I haven't seen one yet that's offering no compensation. In fact, the compensation is very similar to what it has been over the last couple of years as of now. So as a buyer, maybe take some relief in that and that, Hey, if you're having this conversation with your agent up front and you're agreeing to two, two and a half, whatever, 3%, if that's what your number is, there's a really good chance that the seller at the moment is taking care of that compensation to a large degree, but it's going to vary. Some things are going to happen. And, and Josh, I wanted to reference back this before we wrap up in that document that you're signing for the seller. If you have the listing agent represent you, it's a buyer's non- forget the name of it, dude. I should have known this. This is a non-representation non agreement? Basically, but it has a name. Non, it start, I, I should know. I don't know the name of it right off the top of my head. But essentially what it states, and I'm going to read over this quick, is that when you go to the listing agent to work a deal and you say, hey, I want you to represent me, understand that chances are that agent now has to renegotiate that commission with the, the seller because even though they're not necessarily representing you, which you're going to hear here in just a minute, they're going to be doing some work on your behalf. They're not just doing the job of the seller. They're still taking on additional work on your side in doing this. So probably going to want to be compensated, which means the listing agent is going to say, no, I can't represent you, or they're going to have to go back and renegotiate and the seller is going to have to do something. But going back to that document, it basically states that no representation of buyer by seller, by seller's broker. Um, is, is how it states. So buyer, and it also rates, it also says tenant, but I'm not going to. So buyer understands and agrees to the following. Seller does not represent buyer and seller and seller's broker will not be buyer's agent during any negotiation or transaction that results between buyer and seller regarding the property. All acts of seller's broker 
even those that assist buyer in entering into a transaction or performing or completing any of buyer contractual or legal obligations are for the benefit of the seller. Any information that buyer reveals to seller's broker may be conveyed to the seller. Then it goes on to talk about the seller's broker does not represent the buyer and the seller's broker will not be buyer's agent, even though seller broker may provide buyer forms describing agency relationships as required by law or otherwise. So essentially here, you've got somebody that is there to essentially help you facilitate the transaction that the way I read this doesn't necessarily have your best interest in mind, right? They are there solely to represent the seller. Jim, this is what yep. I've always told people. We've been, in a, we've been in a hot market and I have many people say, hey, I'm just going to find these on Redfin, Zillow, open houses, follow the signs, and I'm going to go in and I'm going to ask that agent to represent me. I said, cool, that can be a strategy and there's pros and cons to it. The biggest Absolutely. con to it is this. Your best case scenario in going to the listing agent is that they are a neutral arbitrator. They sit 100% between the two of you. They now are no longer representing the best interest of the seller, and they are no longer representing your best interest. They're mediating an agreement between the two. Well, this formalizes it to say, no, they were the seller's agent before you ever came into the picture, and they can facilitate a transaction with you, but they cannot represent you. And this, to me, this is just putting in words what we in the industry have always known. You can't be an agent for two sides of a transaction. You can be a mediator at best, but the reality is not only did the seller get to you first, the seller is the one person who says, I own something and I want to sell it regardless of whether that one buyer buys it. So it flies in the face of logic to think you are getting any form of representation. And now we're clarifying that and putting it into direct words, at least here in California. So doesn't mean you wouldn't do it if you're in that market that I talked about in Central California, where one home every six months comes up, you might roll in and say, I am cool with no representation. I want this house that badly. But at least now you're going in fully armed with the facts and knowing what you are or are not getting from that listing agent. Yeah, it's essentially you've got somebody that's representing you that can't give you advice. It's, it seems silly. It's almost as if you're in the police station and you choose to, hey, I'm just going to do this by myself. I'm not going to have an attorney. I think I know the legal system well enough. And I've been and in trouble enough. I know there, how this works. Anything you say can and will be used against you. Same thing here. Anything you say can be passed along to the seller and they can use that to their benefit in deciding which direction to go. So as we said earlier, a lot is changing here. A lot will continue to change. We'll continue to, to keep you updated on it. But I think this is an important conversation in becoming the educated home buyer. You need to understand how all of this works and how it's going to affect you going forward. So with that, Josh, final thoughts. The last piece of information I would like to leave you guys with is we are not even finished with the first inning of this process. So the jury trial was completed, but the actual verdict has not been issued. The judge writes it up. The judge has to determine whether he agrees with the $1.8 billion. Once that is done, then the appeal can start. There will be a big appeal. The appeal doesn't go back to a jury. The appeal goes to three judges. Many people feel that this case was decided emotionally by a jury. Many who have never owned a home, never bought a home, don't even understand the process. So very likely that this gets changed, modified, thrown out. Any number of things can happen before it's finalized. But I will go back to the bigger picture, Jeb, is that we're going to have 50 of these lawsuits going on. And the DOJ is going to, whether it's two years, three years, five years down the line, step in and we will have a new normal. And we've had this before. Yep. Going back to 2010, 
coming out of the, the downturn. We had Dodd-Frank. It changed many, many things about the way the mortgage industry worked, the conversations we have, the disclosures that we make to you. And for the most part, things are better now, a better, clearer understanding. I don't think this is going to play out the way most people think it is. It will be a different new normal, and hopefully it will be better than what we've had in the past with more clarity for you, the consumers, which is more important than how it impacts the professionals in this process. But just remember, we are very, very early in the process. Nothing has been decided. There will be some changes in practices for your real estate professionals, forms you may sign, disclosures you may make, agreements you may enter into, and it may impact the negotiations. But for the most part, nothing has changed, even though we're starting to see those changes. And the last thing I'll say, as we always do, is make sure you're working with a professional. This is all the more reason to make sure if you're paying now, that you have that professional on your side, the one that can not only help you with your negotiation of buying the home, but also potentially get your commission negotiated by the seller. You need somebody that understands how this all works to be able to guide you through that process. If you're here local to California, Orange County would love the opportunity to be that person for you. If you're nationwide and you wanna get in touch with somebody that does business like I do and or a mortgage professional to get pre-approved, there is a referral link in the description below. But we appreciate your support. We appreciate you being here every single week. Until next time, adios. Amigos. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.